Welcome back to another episode of the Big Freedom Show. I'm Charlie Thompson. With me, as always, the King himself, John King, and your favorite lispy libertarian, Nathaniel Paul. Still dropping that Man, last name. I for keep you. waiting for you to say the last name, but you don't do it ever. Yeah. No. You're now <laughs> lispy libertarian, Nathaniel Paul. But from here on out, people just assume the best connection ever. Does it have to be the whole name every time? You know, the lispy, the lispy part? Yeah, every time I have to say that. Okay. All right. Well, that'll be fine. That'll be <laughs> yeah. fine. Because I do the intros, Nate. <laughs> okay. I'm the intro We all man. have a place here. But what if, uh, you know, what if you let me do the intro one time, you know? Too like, many could, could I, you could I do, do that? You just let me do the intro? Uh, there's the word show <laughs> in our name. Oh. Yeah. God. And we don't want people to turn it off at the beginning. <laughs> just, just by now, he yeah, wants them to turn it now. off. And you might be surprised, but Nate is actually with us again. He hasn't missed one in a little while. Yeah, in a little while being like um, every single episode. He except started for, off completely uh, on the wrong foot. And speaking of missing things, Nate was out of town, so I, the second tier friend, actually got to go to a Predators game. Yeah, you did. It was a lot of fun. And we won. Yeah, that was, was great. It was great. Intense game. And then, you know, Charlie offers up the Preds tickets again, and I'm always complaining. So this time we have a group chat going, and he just goes, Preds Blackhawks, who wants to go? And of course, Nate goes, me, before I even see it. Actually, (laughs) the funnier part about that, John, if you'll look through that real quick for me, um, I said I'm in before he sent the question, meaning that the two of us were sitting at a bar together and decided that we were going to text So you're that. saying there was some co- there was some collusion. <laughs> there was. That was a uh, that was a crony only, friending right there right if there. you can prove it. <laughs> uh, special counsel right now. <laughs> Nate's uh Nate's confession here is under duress. Well, after hearing this, I think that's going to take us into our next segment here cuz I need it now. It's this week's whiskey, whiskey of, of the week. week. And what do we got here, Charlie? This time I brought a horribly expensive, <laughs> but uh, it's it's an okay whiskey. Em- emphasis on horribly. I've had it before, but we need to review it. For those of you out there, uh, it's it's very, very popular. You probably heard it. It's called Angel's Envy. Uh, Finished in port wine barrels. So that's an interesting thing. It is. Not long enough, obviously. <laughs> uh, very, but, very thin. But it is made uh, or was inspired by the legendary master distiller Lincoln Henderson. And it is distilled in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, now owned by Bacardi, though. So so how much did you pay for this, Jim? Well, luckily, this was free, but in the past, I've paid, I think it's $48? Yes, it's entirely not yeah. worth that. No. No, and it's... This is the larceny of expensive bourbon. This, yes. This is the wild turkey of expensive bourbon. I mean, this it's terrible. It tastes like a... Um, and, and not the good wild turkey. No, the, it's like a thin whiskey mixed with like a dirty dish rag at the same time that was on fire when you drank yeah, I'll, it. I'll take it over larceny, barely, hmm. but double the money of larceny. This one's going in our hall of shame, I think, with larceny. I wouldn't, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's horrible. I just, For the, I'm putting it in the hall of shame. But Nate, yeah. Do you, do you second oh, my motion? Yeah, yeah I, do, I did not want to drink that All whatsoever. Right, let's vote. But, yep. Motion passes. <laughs> Yeah, Angels you guys Envy see our hands in the air. Angels Envy <laughs> is in the Big Freedom Show Whiskey Hall of Shame. So skip this one. That being said, what's your rating, John? For the money, three. Oh, I like it. I, I was, was I was going to go right down the middle, right 
at five. Yeah, I was going to go four. So there we go. <laughs> Needless to say, Three, four, five. spend your $17 elsewhere and uh, you'll be much happier. And that was this week's edition of the Whiskey, Whiskey of the Week. Man, that was together. <laughs> that was all. It's so impressive that we can all look at each other and take a pause and then say the same words at the same time. So we're bringing back another one of our new segments. It's been a hit so far. We've probably gotten the most positive feedback from this. It's called Trolling with Nate. And it's it's sort of a dramatic interpretation of uh, Nate championing the cause of forward thinking and freedom. Now, I didn't get overly uh, ambitious with this one. I decided I was going to try and reel someone in and then tell them that they're an idiot after that. But uh, I, I didn't make it that far. I wasn't actually going to tell them they were an idiot. That, that was a joke. And that yeah. said, I'm going to play the part of The Big Freedom Show. And I will be... Tomo cat, cat with a K. All right, we're, we're going to go straight through this, and then we're going to give a little narration afterwards. All right, so, Burger King, do you charge the same for each menu item? Or do your prices indicate that some of them are better than others? Whopper neutrality. Neither. Prices don't indicate subject, subjective ideas like better. Market prices do. If people view something as better, the price will be higher. An iPhone might work the same as a Droid, but an Apple fan thinks Apple's better and will be willing to pay more for it. Does the Steakhouse Burger cost the same as the Whopper at Burger King? Have you ever paid for priority shipping at the post office? Why not just pay for the stamp? Because priority is better. Why is a Ford Focus cheaper than a Ford Fusion? Hashtag better. (laughs) Why do you like corporate rule? Why do you like government rule? Are they inherently better than someone who owns a corporation? Which one actually has control over you? That Blocked. was terrible tone. Which say, one say that actually one has control over you? <laughs> Blocked. The end. <laughs> this is so some this high-minded guy, thinking here. So this, uh, this guy actually blocked you, Nate. Yeah, I got all the way to the part that I got blocked. And uh, apparently these days, that's how you uh, exit an argument that you're I don't want to hear from you anymore. I can't think you're going to make my head explode. Aneurysm incoming block. So the big part was after I pointed out the fact that uh, there's always tiered prices for everything. uh, They accused me of just wanting corporations to rule everything. So then I asked them, why do you want the government to rule everything? Uh, I mean, most of us, I don't know, we just grew up that we're we're kind of okay with that. But I think it's kind of a weird notion, really, because uh, a corporation doesn't have any real control over you. A corporation doesn't have a have a jail cell or a gun or the or the right to to put you in it and keep you there forever if you don't follow their rules the, they, they can't force you to eat the pink slime cheeseburgers yeah they, they can't make they can make a terrible product but guess what you don't have to buy it and then the market will tell the corporation what to do it's actually reverse in the in the the whole instance with corporations you control them they do everything to make you happy all the time the government exact opposite they do nothing to make you happy except for like maybe two months before the election comes around and they start you know pandering to whatever little things you care about to to act like they really care but i just wanted to ask this person why do you think someone who holds a government office is just automatically a better person than a 
someone who runs a corporation yeah, as if that's free of corruption yeah they're still <laughs> they're still human beings that's what we're talking about we're people they're people that run corporations and it's just people that run the government why if you got elected are you automatically a better person that was the whole question and i just got blocked isn't burger king a corporation Last time I checked, I think Burger King is actually a corporation. But they fight for the people. They're on the side of the people. Exactly. They're trying to pick a side that they think will make people happy. And that's that's all they're doing. But I don't know. And it's not – it's the – if you want to call corporations evil, they're only evil because they buy government power. But it's only made possible because – the government has that power. They're the only ones that have. We They're give the, the government that power over us. The, corp, the biggest corporation in the world is government. Everywhere you go, it doesn't matter if you're in the United States or if you're in Germany or if you're in the Philippines. Your biggest corporation is government. And guess what? They've got the monopoly on force. They're the ones that can come pick you up and take you to jail if you don't comply. Got the guns. <laughs> Well, anyway, that was a good edition of uh, Trolling with Nate, but I'll try and whip up some really good conversations for the next episode. But uh, we're going to go ahead and move into a little bit of a local story, right? Yeah, this is local story and more uh, corporations buying government, basically, is how this works. We're seeing it big time right now. So this article coming from the Tennessean, for all you Tennesseans out there, uh, Nashville Council approves Airbnb phase-out bill for residential neighborhoods. So essentially what Metro uh, Nashville decided to do, and I think Knoxville's kind of done a similar thing, is that they've decided to phase-out uh, short-term rentals, uh, Airbnb, and there's a few other companies. So the council voted 25 to 5 to phase out short-term rentals that aren't occupied by their owners from residential zoned neighborhoods. It marks the city's most aggressive step to date to curb a rapidly growing alternative to hotels that has exploded in Nashville amid the city's tourism boom. So what's happening is we not only do we have 100 people a day that are moving to Nashville, but we also have a lot of people that come visit here, especially bachelorette parties. I, I think they said 15, <laughs> I think I read something like 15 million people last year came as tourists. Yeah, to Nashville. 14 million of them were bachelorette parties, I guarantee you. Yeah, it's thick. It's thick. The veils are real. Yeah, at least 14 million probably is right, Nate, of bachelorette parties because everywhere you go, you see them. But hey, that's great for the city. It's great for businesses. Uh, but you know what's happening is, is that the hotel rate in Nashville is skyrocketing. So it's above Manhattan now. Yes, it's making it really difficult for people to come visit and stay in Nashville. So what happened is Airbnb, which is the largest short-term rental company, it's kind of operated like Uber. It's personal people who sign up for Airbnb and they rent their own homes. Uh, and Nashville has decided that because it maybe a few neighbor complaints that it's decided that it's its job to not allow Airbnb basically to operate if you don't actually live in your home. Yeah. So the, it's only on non-owner occupied rentals. So like if you have a, a guest house or a spare bedroom, this doesn't apply to you. But if you as an investor said, hey, I could make a lot of money here. And let's say you went and dropped a million dollars on a couple of houses. I guess you're going to be SOL. Yeah, just uh, who cares about you and your money, right? Who cares about no, your no big deal? I mean, just property, million bucks. Yeah, this is going to help the consumer, though, right? I mean, they're going to help everyone. Well, with our hotel prices already pretty much the highest <laughs> in the country, 
yeah, those bachelorettes are going to have to dig a little deeper. And I so get- the, the article says that neighborhood groups have alleged non-owner occupied short-term rentals has turned residential homes into party houses, brought businesses into areas zoned for houses, and displaced longtime residents from neighborhoods closest to the city's urban core. What's the difference in this, though, of, you know, we've had HomeAway and VRBO and that kind of thing. I mean, vacation rentals have been around forever. The I mean, Airbnb just made it kind of sexy. And so what's yeah, changed? <laughs> the only thing that's changed is that uh, I'm pretty sure that the hotels are starting to uh, have a pretty big dent in their pocketbooks. And, and they made sure that, you know, now the Airbnbs pay hotel taxes and all of that stuff. They made sure they got theirs. Which is ridiculous, but... Uh, Aside from that point, Airbnb is still cheaper most of the time. Uh, you get an entire house for basically the same price a night you're going to pay for one single hotel room. Typically more beds. I just want to get down to the bottom line here. I mean, can you purchase a property and then have someone pay you to stay at that property for a night? Not Should a- that, could that be against the law? Not according to Councilwoman Sherry Weiner, who said... We do have precedent and authority to ensure the sanctity of one's home and one ne- and one's neighborhood through zoning. No, you don't. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but you don't. Nowhere does it say. Nowhere does. It, how in the world can a councilwoman or or metro council just say and assume authority that they that they have somehow they're holier than thou to say that your personal property rights don't matter. Your investment doesn't matter. Your own property and what you want to do with it doesn't matter because I'm a councilwoman and I get to say that we have a duty to protect zoning. Well, and this is residential. It's not like they're putting an auto body repair shop next to a house in a subdivision. It's just they don't like the flavor of residential. And even if you were, who cares? So, and, and my biggest point to this is that private property rights should supersede everything else. I don't... I'm not, I don't advocate for sex parties, but <laughs> if you want to have a sex party at your house, who cares? <clears throat> it's your house. What, who gives the government the right to take that away from you? And the reason why is because private property derives itself from something that we advocate on the show all the time, which is self ownership. You mean you own yourself, you own your belongings, you own your private property, even though you have to rent it from the government through property taxes. Still, you own your property and what you want to do with it. If you want to turn it into an auto body shop or what, I mean, I operate out of my own home and no one notices because it's a different kind of business. So what gives the, well, met, what well, gives a city what council they the argue right? about is traffic and things like that. And that's something I've had to deal with because I have a recording studio and I'm in a residential area. And there, it's sort of a don't ask, don't tell here in Nashville. Like we're not supposed to do it, but they let people do it. I guess there's like 1,500 home studios. So you're getting unfair treatment then. Uh, I'm getting away with it, (laughs) you know, along with a lot of other people. But I've heard of a lot, I've heard of some people that, you know, if they do have a lot of traffic and it disturbs neighbors, since you're not technically supposed to do it, I have heard of people getting fined or shut down. What I want to know is, is it illegal for someone to buy the property, buy a house next to your house? And uh, let's just say, Eight people live there, and they all have a job, and they all come back and forth every single day. They leave in the morning. They're back and forth all day. They're there at night, and let's say they like to party. 
What happens about that is, are we going to make it illegal for a large family to move into a house that likes to party? You want to know what's funny is, I I would have to dig this up, but I think there are actually some laws about that, like as far as number of occupants per bedroom and things like that for, quote, safety reasons. I know there's some rules um, for in, on the child aspect of it. I think there are some rules of occupants. I think you're uh, like allowed to have two people per bedroom legally, but... <laughs> And all this sounds like is it hurts poor people. That's well, well, and there's a there's a contract there's a contractual way of remedying this. There's this thing that most of us hate, but some people love called a homeowners association. And if you want to have an area that is free of these things, you don't want short term rentals. You don't want a body shop to open. We don't need zoning for that. We can agree as property owners to give up that portion of our freedom in exchange for this perceived these perceived benefits of a certain way of life. We don't need the government coming in and, and telling us what we can and can't do without getting a say in it. Mayor, uh, Mayor Megan Barry, who's pretty uh, liberal uh, mayor for Nashville, has been pretty quiet about this. But once they passed it, she came out and said, neighborhoods should be for neighbors. And I hope that these new regulations will help correct some of the unintended consequences of non-owner occupied short-term rental properties. Unintended consequences like what? More people come to Nashville? All this is going to do is it's going to hurt the tourism industry of Nashville because people are priced out of paying for hotels. And if you can't afford a three or four or $500 a night hotel in Nashville and you're not allowed to rent a $100 or $200 a night Airbnb, guess what? You're going somewhere else. And what I, what I want to know is why not just set some kind of sound violation standard? I know there already is yeah, one. The, yeah. We don't need anything but, else. Once again, that's there. At the very minimum, if they if this was really about protecting the neighborhood, then they could have just made new laws about that. If you are a short-term rental property, then why aren't you just making a new law about how you can't have any sound violations whatsoever? Well, and they did do some of that on top of the phase-out, which is kind of hilarious. So they're saying that... They're basically implementing a law that's, that l- limits the number of people based on the number of rooms, which is kind of what we just talked about. But they've added that to this bill as well. Yeah. So anybody, but but anybody who's invested already, right? Is, that's the that's the really unfortunate thing is a lot of people chose to do this. I have some friends that have bought duplexes and things like that, and they make really good money with Airbnb. And that's all of a sudden they made these big life decisions. They've got mortgages, loans, things like that, and now they're just stuck. Because someone in city council decided they didn't know how to manage their own property. I do have some good news in this story, though. Are you talking about lobbying? No. Oh, go ahead. What Sorry. I'm talking about uh, from the article here, the move could invite intervention from Republican-led Tennessee state legislature, where an industry-backed bill to overturn Nashville's ban on non-owner-occupied short-term rentals from residential neighborhoods is already drafted. But, so you are talking about lobbying. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> industry back probably means uh, the short-term rental Airbnb and Well, I, I say this because if any of you guys have watched TV, Airbnb is like buying up all the <laughs> all the advertising space with these, you know, showing people frolicking in fields and drinking wine on back porches. And, uh, you know, there's enough Nashville for everyone. The hotels have bought Metro Council and then Airbnb is buying the state legislature. I think that's how it's working. <laughs> But ultimately, I mean, the state rules the city, so, you know. It, Which is funny because it's really turning into a big power struggle of who can dictate to you what you can and can't do. 
in really in all cases, I mentioned the homeowners association earlier. If that's what you're after, I would probably advocate for that. At least everyone gets a direct voice on that kind of thing. If if that's what you're after. Well, what I want to know is though, we talk about how we want all of our laws and all of our decisions to be made at the local level all the time. So right here, we have a law or a, a rule or regulation, whatever you want to call it, that's being made right here at the city level here in Nashville. Is this, uh, is this what the Constitution had in mind? Is this what the Founding Fathers had in mind whenever we started this country? And should we just be okay with it now? And, or should we be upset because maybe this isn't right, the right thing to do at all? I think decisions are usually best local, but when it well, comes to— Well, they're best to, individual. That's the ideal well, situation. Yes, yes. But in politics or government, right? right? And so—but what we're talking about here is that you have to remember that states are sovereign, right? So Tennessee is a, a sovereign state, basically should be a, a, what's a, essentially a sovereign country— and they own all of the land within inside of Tennessee, and Nashville is part of that. So constitutionally speaking, and even the, the 10th Amendment lays out uh, what's not delegated in the Constitution is left to the states and to the people. So if the state of Tennessee decides that Nashville is not using their property properly, then I don't think that it's wrong as long as it's in— to me, as long as it's in the direction of liberty, which what this is, and the good news is, is that the House has already passed it, so all they need is Senate approval, and so, Nashville gets shut down. I have a little detour, just a little bit of trivia. Do you guys know there's one state you actually can own your own property and the state doesn't own it? No. Texas. It's called, it's called owning your land in a lodial title, and you actually truly own your own land. The state doesn't have any claim or right to it. Do you pay taxes on it? I mean, in certain municipalities, but there's a lot of stuff in Texas where they have groups and things that can just challenge the government on everything because of that. And it's one of the only states that's like that in the whole country. Sounds beautiful. It's just one thing I, I'm going to go back to it again. Um, because and detour I, the detour. I'm going to go right back to it real quick. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, we mentioned the Tenth Amendment and uh, states have the say and all that, and, and that means that this is technically okay. My argument is that uh, this isn't technically okay, uh, even in regards to the Constitution uh, whatsoever, because we're talking about property rights right now. We're talking about your right to buy a property and then do what you want with it, as long as you're not actually harming the people around you. And in the Constitution, it says that the job of the federal government is to protect life, liberty, and property. So where do we draw the line whenever a state government decides that you actually don't have a property right? Are we just okay with that because the state government said so? Does that make it okay because it was a local so you're, government? So you're, But what you're saying is something different than what the actual Tennessee state legislature is doing. Because what the Tennessee state legislature is doing is they are going to protect the property rights. They're going to say to Nashville, hey, you can't uh, violate people's property rights. That's what Tennessee is saying. But I think the bigger thing he's saying is that aside from Airbnb even, this is like a a jumping point for that, you know, does the state – is an unjust law from the state, is that something – while technically we were okay with that from the standpoint of you've got representation there – you're still losing your property rights. 
Yeah, well, that's not okay, no. Well, that can go to taxation also, because we've talked about it before, how it's okay if one state wants to have a tax on something. But I know that we've all said it before, that... (coughs) (coughs) Hey, you need a new lung over there, buddy? But I know that we've all... (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Can you? But I know that we've all said it before, that taxation is theft. I think even some of us have said the words that taxation is just another form of slavery. And if we really believe that taxation is theft, and that it's the job of the government, and that you have an inherent, inalienable right, a human, natural right to your property, then how can you say, well, the state government said that they own your property, well, so that's okay? Well, what about this? So, when you live in a city... There are some concessions you have to make because you're in such close proximity to other property owners. Do we see this as part of that, or is anything acceptable as far as that goes? So now we're going to the old, uh, the, um, the noise violation, just uh, the noise violation thing. And are you, as a result of going, okay, look, I live in a metro area, I understand there have to be some different rules. For example, you can't shoot a gun in your backyard in a metro area. There's a general safety issue there. Mm -hmm. Well, I have no issue with someone owning a gun, clearly. Um, I'm okay with there being a law about not shooting a gun in your backyard when there's somebody 30 feet away. Yeah, but that's a that's a law to actually physically protect someone from immediate safety, from immediate danger. So I'm just uh, using that as an example of there's certain things that you do have to sort of, you know, be okay with living in a city in exchange for the benefits of a city. And this discussion, we're kind of uh, we're diving into a little bit of heavy libertarian philosophy for you. So <laughs> hey, that's the I'm, good stuff. This is it a, is. Main I'm sorry, groups. I have got to take this gun out of my pocket. That this has been the, killing me this the, whole time. The down and dirty oh. of the libertarian philosophy here, but essentially, uh, Nate, you are correct that obviously yes, but at the same time, uh, when you go to where America was founded, it was founded on the individual states, right? And they're the ones that created the federal government. So originally, yes, private property uh, owners were protected, and that's the way that it should be. Um, But what I'm getting at here is more so of Tennessee telling its city, Nashville, that you can't violate sovereign citizens of Tennessee. You can't violate their property rights. And I think that's a fine stance for the state to take. I I don't mean that, uh, you know, the Tennessee should own the land and that individuals shouldn't be able to own their land. That's not what I'm meaning here. What I'm meaning, the good out of this, what moves us closer towards liberty in this situation is the state of Tennessee telling Nashville not to violate its citizens. That's that's like a weird dichotomy, too, because intrinsically you want it to be the smaller, you know, at the, the most local level of government possible you know, decisions being made, but it's cool that they are coming through to guarantee some sort of liberty if if a city wants to take such a radical stance like that. I couldn't agree more. Man. So let, let us know your thoughts on Airbnb. Is something like this happening in your city? I'm sure it is. Are you being terrorized by bachelorettes? Are, I know. Are they falling off pedal pubs in front of you? It happened to me once. Anyway. I know that uh, Austin lost Airbnb or they lost Uber a couple years ago and things like that. So if that's happening, email us info at the big freedom show, hit Nate up on Twitter, maybe argue with him about it at big freedom. We might read about it 
actually, I'll do a good voice for you if you if you do it. So that brings us into our last uh, point of discussion. I think this one might get a little bit interesting. It's on. Uh, th- there was a new law proposed on DUIs to lower the blood alcohol content limit from currently 0.08 down to a 0.05. This is another Tennessee thing, right? I mean, no. This they're proposing it nationwide. Oh, this is actually. federal. Yeah. So. Because there are states that have, there are a few states that have. I mean, Utah, pretty much Utah, and then Arizona has some, like, they have a staged DUI thing where it's, there's, uh, what do you, it's like a zero tolerance, but it's a minor infraction, and then they have a normal DUI. So the, the argument here is that if they lower the blood alcohol content, that that will improve safety for everyone on the roads. And it brings you to a weird thing because, you know, a lot of people get pulled over for DUI. Nobody got hurt. What do we think about that? Can the government punish someone if they have not done anything to harm anyone? That's that's the question that I would want to ask. And I, I think that sounds ridiculous. Everyone's like, well, obviously, you have to have some kind of punishment for driving while you're drunk. But shouldn't the punishment be if you drove while you were drunk and you injured someone? Well, so the funny thing is, for a little bit of clarity here, too, with this new rule, part of another article I read said that for a a woman that's, say, 120 pounds, if she were to have one drink, she would get a DUI at that point. So that, I mean, it's pretty much all-encompassing. And it's not only that, but this is so subjective, right? I mean, yes, you can you can obviously... Uh, scientifically measure someone's blood alcohol content. Yes, that's true. Uh, not necessarily by a breathalyzer, but a, an actual blood test. But not uh, functional equivalency for sure. For example, that's Nate, the problem. Nate could be at a 0.12 and he would outperform me at a 0.05. Probably. I'm yeah. just joking. But Yeah, I was at that on the way here. <laughs> <laughs> He's just kidding, guys. Call the lawyers. Well, but. the first thing we need to say is we do not advocate Drinking and driving, of yeah, course. Yeah, it's stupid. It Absolutely is. not. Call Especially an Uber, si- call Lyft. Th- there's no excuse anymore. Especially since Uber exists. It literally is ridiculous. But if you do happen to do it, it's such a subjective thing to say some people, when they drink, they get angry. Some people, when they drink, they get happy. If I drink whiskey, <laughs> I get pe- into fights. Some people, yeah. when they yeah. drink, they get sad. I mean... Some you could talk about weed or any other type of drug. It doesn't matter. People are affected differently by chemicals because not everybody's made the same. I'm so, a giant, so I was looking in, <laughs> like trying to. Yeah, you are a giant. Yes. How tall are you? Six eight. Yeah, that's seven foot four in my book. Do you play basketball? No, stop. <laughs> of course, it has to be asked. But I, I was trying to think of a way to uh, like a parallel for this and. You know, I, I don't necessarily think that you have to hit somebody or kill somebody or damage property for there to be some sort of a criminal penalty. Because the closest parallel that I could come to is, okay, so we all think that, you know, gun ownership should be legal. But I, there's, you know, there are laws on the books against brandishing a gun in public. So mm-hmm. if you're at a mall and you point a gun at someone, that's a crime. So could we kind of say that if someone's driving and they're you know, just hammered drunk, swerving all over the road. And I'm not talking about checkpoints here. That's a completely different thing, just unlawfully stopping people. But if you see someone swerving all over the road or driving down the road in reverse or that kind of thing, there is a probability that they're going to hurt someone. And could we compare that to brandishing a weapon? It's 
generally probably not the best thing for public safety. You didn't see me going there, did you? No, I did, I did not <laughs> see that coming. I was going in a completely different I tried, direction. I tried to blindside yeah. you. <laughs> no, but I mean, I probably, I might want to clarify what I said earlier. I mean, I mean, it's not good to drink and drive. That's a terrible well, we, thing. Yeah, we, we know that. We're just talking about I, from a philosophical standpoint yeah. here. What you're likening this to is basically uh, a threat and backing it up. I mean... I honestly see that as a valid point, and I've never actually thought of it this way. I I do believe principally that there should be no crime without a victim, but I think that if you threaten somebody and you have the capability to follow through with that threat, then that is a crime. So if you're drunk in a car— Visibly drunk. Visibly, you're, you're, you're basically saying, hey, I have the capability to harm you— and I could, I definitely could carry that out, then I could see how that correlates to brandishing a weapon or threatening somebody with, with violence because it, it, it is violence that you're using your own property. And, you and, are, and it happens a it, lot. Yeah, we it can. does. I, it, this is really tough because that's also very, very, very subjective. There's no black or white to this issue. And I think, honestly, I mean, that's why they talk about the reasonable standard, right? So it, it, it's very tough because I honest, I think the laws on the books right now are too strict, and this would be even worse. Um, and again, I don't advocate for, for drinking and driving, but... Yeah, it, I mean, I, I personally, and I know you guys are kind of this way too. It's like, if I'm going to have more than a drink or two at this point, I can shell out the seven bucks for a, a lift. I don't, that's, that's not... You know, not a big deal, and that's what I choose to do as a showing personal responsibility because I—that's just how I choose to carry myself. That and the biggest problem too is all the mandatory minimums, right? I, I think the state or the prosecution, whoever it is, should have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you were going to cause somebody harm. And, and I think that's where I mentioned earlier checkpoints. That makes no sense to me. You know, I, I'm not talking about randomly stopping and hoping to get lucky. I'm saying, I don't know if you guys have driven out at three o'clock in the morning very often, but I do every now and then. And I mean, I've, I've called cars in before where I literally see someone swerving across three lanes of traffic. It's to me, that's very different than just stopping someone who's otherwise just going about their business, not causing anybody any situation, you know? Yeah. I'll be honest. I got pulled over one time. I'll tell a personal story. Um, I, was actually with Nate and uh, we, uh, I had had four beers over the course of five hours. And again, I'm six foot eight and uh, 250 pounds. Maybe How many we'll, shots of whiskey had you had? None. Okay. None. We had, we just, this before the whiskey beers. of the week. Yes. <laughs> and I went home and I took a different way home. I don't, don't ask me why, but I thought that because you were drunk. <laughs> no. I thought that this way would be faster. <coughs> so I ended up going by another bar and there was a flashing red light that these turn on at 11 o'clock. It was like 1130. It wasn't that late. And most of the time, this light is always green because it's a very weird intersection. Well, there just so happened to be a cop that sits there all the time because it's right next to this bar and people miss this flashing red light all the time. And I didn't come to a complete stop. So what happened? I got pulled over. And 
for not coming to a complete stop at a flashing red light. And the cop was like, hey, you had anything to drink tonight? And in my, you know, darndest libertarian way, you know, I was you only very, made it halfway there. It's very respectable, <laughs> but I, you know, I just told him I don't answer any questions. Long story short, I ended up getting arrested for a DUI. The, the affidavit was uh, basically all he said was that I sounded, no, all he said was that I sounded like I had trouble speaking, which you could have trouble speaking anytime talking to I could get a DUI every single time. Yes. You know? Yeah, I you're, have, you're doomed. People have get tr- nervous. Have trouble so, with, uh, with S's, officer. So the, the moral of the story is, is I ended up going to court and they wanted to slap all these mandatory minimum, minimums on me, have me spend this amount of days in jail and all this. Long story short, I ended up getting reckless driving. I don't have a DUI on my record. Um, and I didn't, I still lost my license for a year, but the only reason why I lost my license for a year is because Tennessee has a thing called implied consent, which means that if you refuse an officer's test that, and it's, and it's their discretion, by the way, the officer can say that you have to take his certain test that he chooses, then you automatically lose your license for a year. And I repeatedly, I have the videotape, I repeatedly told the officer that I do not consent to illegal searches and seizures. And he asked me to take a breathalyzer. And I said, I will not take a breathalyzer, but I will take a blood test because I knew that I wasn't over the limit. And he kept refusing to take me to get a blood test. He wanted the breathalyzer right there. And so I ended up losing my license for a year because of that. And to me, it's a ridiculous notion. And I, and I bring all this up because you said checkpoints and things like that. Cops aren't protecting and serving when they sit at an intersection where people could more than likely miss a flashing red light because that light's usually green during the day at a weird intersection just so we can pull people over that are coming from that bar. Even though I wasn't coming from that bar, I I ended up passing it. And that's not liberty. That's not freedom. That's not protecting and serving. That's not stopping, you know, bad drunk drivers from getting off the road because I wasn't one of them. It's also just uh, talking about that whole implied consent rule. I mean, aren't you legally in America? Aren't we innocent until proven guilty? No, the in Constitution. Tennessee, we've given that up. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, so a lot of the Second Amendment, those don't really matter Most anymore. amendments. Yeah. Not important. It is. Yeah. Just That's, do whatever so, you want. So, Nate, where, where are you at on this? <laughs> we, well, we, ch- you know, Chuck's chimed in pretty good here. The biggest thing with me is that I don't believe these laws really do anything. It's not about the fact that I think people should be able to drink and drive. It's that I think if someone who got drunk at a bar decided they're going to drive home, they're going to drive home, whether it's .05 or .08. It doesn't matter what it is. Lowering it down to .05 is not going to stop a drunk person from getting in the car. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Okay. And supposedly there have been most of the rest of the developed world is at a point oh five on this. And they have statistically said that, you know, uh, drunk driving related fatalities have gone down around 13 percent in countries where they have implemented this. You know who's behind this? This is more crony capitalism. And I think we could speculate here that Uber is just trying to get a law passed right now. That's all it is. <laughs> They're just trying to get a law passed. That's it. This is Uber's first law that could be successful. I mean, l- let's be honest. Uber loves drunk people. 
That's, yeah. that's their bread and butter. It's their favorite thing, but they want to lower that threshold. You know how many more people that opens up to take an Uber home every single night? Uh, Man, this is just another crony thing. It would be good for thing. Uber and Lyft. But <laughs> to, I, I, would, I think it's just mis, misguided focus more than anything. Well, and last time I checked, assault is already illegal and murder is already illegal. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter how you commit those crimes. If you happen to be drunk driving your car and you injure someone else because you got in a wreck and it was the fault of the alcohol, then that's assault. But I, right? I do want to push you a little bit on this, which is what I talked about earlier. If, you know, let's say you haven't hurt anybody yet, but you clearly are displaying the capability to hurt someone. What's what's your stance on that? Like you're weaving across seven lanes of traffic and... You know, and that's where it gets a little gray for me. That's where I said I think the reasonable standard could, could come into play where you could be arrested for a DUI in that case and the prosecution would have to prove... That swerving across lanes or driving was backwards. cause at that point? Well, they would have to prove that that is a legitimate threat that could cause bodily harm. So, And see, I'm, I'm personally, and you guys are going to like you know knife fight me for this, I'm okay with it at no, that I have point. a gun right here, John. I, I know. You Literally. keep bringing that up. I know. <laughs> keep that thing under the, under the table. But, you know, I, I, that's one of those trade-offs that at a certain point I'm, I'm okay with. I don't feel like you have to shoot the person for there to be a crime there. We can stop them, you know, when they've got the gun drawn. And I, I do feel like that illustration really does sort of ring true. I think the swerving around the lanes uh, argument, it, that makes sense, and I agree with that, but that's already covered by reckless driving in the first place, isn't it? I mean, isn't that reckless driving? Isn't it illegal to shift across multiple lanes at one time and cut off other drivers and, and all that kind of stuff? I, I, I think mean, the thing is with, with DUI, the standard is a little bit lower because they have to stack multiple things together to do reckless driving. Um well, and, and that's where I want it to go. If you're go, a lawyer, though. let us know. Info yeah. at bigfreedomshow.com. Go ahead. <laughs> well, and this is one thing that kind of, you know, pisses me off about libertarians a little bit, to be honest, is because there's a lot of libertarians that are so principled that they would, all they would say would be, no, without a, without a victim, there's no crime, blah, 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 blah. And no one wants to actually have a discussion like we are here to be like, oh, well, maybe, just maybe, like brand, like threatening somebody to hit them and you have the capability and the means and you raise your fist to hit somebody, that is considered or could be considered a threat that could be thwarted or you could be in, uh, get in trouble for or could be a crime because you have the ability and you've made that threat. The same thing with a DUI. But yeah, I, I think what we're agreeing on here is there's a difference in you doing something that only affects you and you displaying symptoms of being incapacitated. So it's more that the the charge is based on the fact, are you incapacitated? And, you know, is that a reason to pull someone over versus, oh, hey, you, you know, didn't stop long enough at a stop sign. And uh, by the way, we, we got an opportunity to try to screw you. I could get down with that for sure. I, I, I can get on board with that. The only, uh, the only one other little thing I would say is that I don't like this being so separate from, say, texting and driving or driving while you're about to fall asleep or anything like that. Those are all very yeah, dangerous or, things. Or stoned driving. And so what I, what I don't like about these laws and these rules are that it gives people kind of a false sense of security, really just so the government can get some money out of your pocket. But 
they're not um, really finding the way to really stop people from texting and driving. They're not really finding the way to stop people from driving when they're too tired to drive. And so making a law, just arbitrary putting the number on thing on, on things and just saying, oh, look, now you're safe from drunk drivers because yeah, so we made so this law. So DUI is worse than texting and driving or falling asleep at the wheel. It's and really the same are thing. Are you really telling me that getting a DUI that you were putting people more in danger than if you were checking your Facebook while you were driving down the interstate? I mean, it's not really any different. And those are the things that really bother me. And really, the, the only other tact I feel like you could take on this, if you wanted to go, the more super small government intervention would be just you know, extreme penalties if you're, if you're convicted of something. If you do actually hurt someone. Right. I mean, murder, murder one. Right. There's no, oh, I was too incapacitated and couldn't make that decision. And, you know, to me, I'm more willing to make that trade off with some of the different levels of things, but maybe a little bit lower standard. I just feel like it takes responsibility away from people. Like, I think we all need to be super defensive drivers all the time. Like when I'm driving down the road, I'm constantly watching every single other car. What are they doing right now? What happens if they do this? Like the whole time that I'm driving that's literally all I'm thinking about the entire time to make sure. Yeah, who's going to run the stop sign? Oh, they're so not slowing down This enough. whole thing where the government steps in to make sure that the other people aren't going to hurt you, it just gives you this false sense of like, oh, I don't need to really be defensive. I can check my phone. Oh, I got time. No one else is going to do anything because there's laws against them doing bad things right now. Yeah, there's so, no one that's going to be 0.06 wh- out here. Yeah, there's no one going to be 0.06. Come on, it used to be 0.08. I barely need to look at the road right now. No reason to. So what I don't like is when we get to this point that people no longer need to be defensive and be responsible for themselves. It, I think it hurts us all. Which another little bit of color that I read from an opposing bu- viewpoint that was pretty funny was actually that people that have a blood alcohol content between 0 and 0.04 are more likely to cause an accident than those that have a blood alcohol content between 0.05 and 0.10. Because they're paying more attention to the road while they're driving because they know they're drunk. (laughs) (laughs) And then obviously over 0.10, it just goes crazy. they're trying so hard to not get pulled over. that Straight (laughs) as an arrow. (laughs) You really just opened it up. Honestly, now we can raise it, raise it to point point one six. Yes, you know, point at least point one zero. That's yeah. what that's what we should be advocating for. I think really quickly, I want to say how they get how they do this. It's so easy for them to pass these things. If you've never been or seen uh, the family members of a victim of a DUI wreck, it's absolutely awful. Um, I remember the first. Uh, I remember when I was sitting in the in a class. Um, and this lady came in to talk to us who had lost her daughter due to drunk driving and in, sitting in that class, I'm like, let's, let's outlaw alcohol, like yeah. the whole thing. Get Cause it, it is tragic. I mean, we, that's why we don't advocate for people to actually drink and drive because it really is a tragedy. You don't want to kill somebody's daughter or somebody's mother or husband or any of that nature. You have to take responsibility for your actions, no matter what. And there's and, a right and a wrong way to do this though. Absolutely. And, and no matter what the government does, you still have that self-responsibility. So, guys, that is all the time that we've got for today, uh, except for I want to mention real quick, we're not going to get into this. But Uh-oh. I think what, are you, this what whole, are you doing? This whole DUI thing is going to be obsolete in about 20 years because in my research today, I did see that the CEO of Uber came out and said that self-driving cars 
uh, the self-driving Ubers will be on the road within 18 months. So oh, we'll, we'll save that one for another day. That's so. a whole other conversation. Who's liable when that car crashes? But anyway, guys, come hang out on Twitter. Uh, you know, just uh, get on Twitter, get on at Big Freedom Show and uh, tweet us something cool. You know, go follow us and you might see uh, me or someone else really sticking it to someone. But uh, that's all we've got for the, today's show. Come back and see us next time. We'll see you then. <laughs>